Good morning, everybody. Good morning online. Good morning, everybody. Glad to be here. It's a warm, warm day here in Southern California, so I hope you're cool where you're at. Pun intended, I hope you're cool. So anyway, get back to our little guy here this morning. But anyway, glad to be here this morning, and uh, just a couple of announcements as we get started. Uh, we will have our Bible study tonight on uh, Better Way to Pray at 6 o'clock, and then we will be starting our new Bible study this coming Saturday the 20th in Pasadena, and we will be discussing uh, Andrew's book, A Spirit, Soul, and Body. Okay, uh, if you need uh, directions or information on that, feel free to contact us for any of those things. Anyway, we're excited for both Bible studies happening this week, uh, night, and then also Saturday in Pasadena. All right. Well, God bless. I think that's all the announcements I'm going to do this morning. And then we'll just go ahead and jump into our, our message this morning. We're studying this morning, and the title of my message this morning is The Beauty of His Holiness. It's kind of a transitional st uh, series. I see this being a smaller series than my other ones. I've said that before, though. And we'll see what happens. But there's a bigger picture that I just feel like God is leading me into as a pastor, as a teacher, and that is to teach on in the, in the aspect of uh, equipping the saints for the work of the ministry so that we all come into the unity of the faith to the measure of the fullness of the stature of Christ. In other words, my heart is to grow healthy lives, healthy churches. I believe if we grow healthy lives, we will grow healthy churches. You know, uh, because the church is people. The church is not the building or the organization or the denomination or whatnot. Uh, so our, my heart is to grow good, healthy lives. Just like any parent would want to see their kids to, to, to uh, grow and be healthy, not only physically, but relationally and spiritually, most importantly. And at every, which, every level of their life, they want them to grow healthy, mature, that they have their own families and their own careers, and they learn a responsibility, and they do well, financially, uh, relationally, uh, and every, uh, healthy, and every which way in their lives. And that's my heart as a pastor. My heart as a pastor is that we grow and we mature in our life in Christ. Being born again is awesome, and that's the main, the main message. But just like in someone who's born again, and we're going to get into this a little bit later, but as we're anyone who's born again, they need to mature. They need to be nourished. They need to be disciplined so they, they can be and live mature, responsible lives. Okay? Um, and so uh, no one is born an adult. No one comes out of the womb an adult. Say anything spiritually. We, not, we have to mature. We have to grow. And then you stop growing is the moment you start dying. And we have to grow, and my heart to grow. And, 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 and in that mindset, and where my heart is going, that's why I've even taught about wisdom and some other things recently. But also, my heart is going this direction, but in this, I, I felt like taking a little time out, if you will, and just talk about the beauty of this holiness, which goes along with my, with my heart and growing healthy lives. And dealing with holiness, I feel like, uh, now that I've understood grace the last 10 years in a better measure, in a better way, because I'm growing too. But as I've understood grace, I've also uh, learned that some things that I knew or known or, or thought or perceived growing up uh, were misconceptions. 
And I want to deal with some of those misconceptions about holiness, but more importantly, I want us to discover the beauty of this holiness so that the fruit of this holiness can be evident in our lives, and we'll get into some of that. So hopefully we see a little bit of my heartbeat, and I'll see this a little bit more here as we go into our first text this morning. Go turn with me, if you will, to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4, we'll pick up verse 20. Ephesians 4.20. Yeah, I've taught on this many times in the past from kind of a different perspective, and I'm going to teach it from this perspective this morning. But you have so learned Christ, if indeed you have been taught of Him, and have been taught by Him, as the truth is in Jesus. I've got to pause there just for a second. Paul is saying, you have not so learned Christ, if indeed you have heard Him and been, and been taught by Him, for the, as the truth is in Jesus Christ. I want to deal with verse 20. First of all, it says, in verse 20, it says, You have not so learned Christ. That phrase, so learned, in the Greek, if you study it out, it means to be permeated. It means to be saturated. There's a truth that we are to be permeated in. There's a truth that we are to be saturated in. It's in the same chapter, in the same context, where Paul already said, he, He's given us apostles, pastors, prophets, etc., but the equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry. It's in the same context, it's in the very same chapter that Paul makes that statement. And in that, he goes on to say, but you have not so learned Christ. I believe it's my, my responsibility as a pastor, among other things, is to so learn you that you would know this truth is in Jesus. That's my job. That's my, my job description according to the Word of God, New Testament, according to the Word of Paul. Impossible grace. And he goes on to say, but this truth is in Jesus, colon. Most of your Bible translations will have a colon after verse 21. What that tells me is that he's going to expound on what this truth that is in Jesus that we are to so learn. And this truth that we, that's in Jesus that we are to so learn is that we put off concerning your former conduct, our conversation, as the King James says, the old man which grows corrupt according to the deceitfulness of lust, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, <coughs> and that you put on the new man, which was created according to God, in true righteousness and holiness. Paul wants us to so learn this truth, <coughs> that's in Jesus, that we put off concerning the former conduct, the old man, which grows corrupt according to deceitful lust, and, the, and in the spirit of mind, we put on the new man. <coughs> See, this new man that we put on is created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. Sure, you can do me a favor, give me a minute. I got a little tickle on my throat. I just want to, I don't want that to be a distraction as we go forward. But, and uh, it says, uh, you know, this truth that we are to, to, to so learn is that we put off the old man and we put on the new man who is created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. We're talking about the beauty of God's holiness. And holiness is not what we do. Holiness, a, a verb, holiness is a noun in this context. Holiness is a noun and it's who we put on. Holiness is not what we do. 
Holiness is who we put on. True holiness. The truest form of holiness is who we put on. And we put on righteousness and true holiness, Jesus Christ. That makes sense to you this morning? See, when we're talking about the beauty of God's holiness, we're not talking about our holiness. We're not talking about our performance. We're talking about Jesus. We're talking about putting on Jesus. We're putting on off the old man, and we're putting on the new man who is created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. Thank you. But we got to make sense as we get going this morning. See, Paul says in Romans chapter 6, he teaches, and I'm going to paraphrase, that we are crucified with Christ, and we are buried with Christ. That's putting off the old man. And we're raised together with him in Christ Jesus. That's putting on the new man. And the new man who comes out of the water, or out of the grave, is not Adam. It's the new man. And it's created according to God <coughs> in true righteousness and holiness. So again, holiness is not what we do. Holiness is who we put on. Holiness is a who. And whenever I'm thinking about and talking about holiness, we need to get to the origin. We need to get to the, the root of <coughs> excuse me, the root of the matter is that we need to we need to be renewed in our mind that we're no longer associated with Adam, which is unholy, which is flesh and blood. Paul says in 2 Corinthians, we don't know no man after the flesh. Flesh and blood cannot enter, God, enter God's presence. It cannot go into heaven. Jesus told Nicodemus, unless you're born again, you cannot enter the kingdom of God. He goes on to say that, he, actually he says before that, in verse 3, John 3, 3, <coughs> that unless we're born again, we cannot even see the kingdom of God. And so, and but Paul says in Romans 6, that we must reckon ourselves to be dead to sin, Adam, our sin nature is unholy, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Our holiness is in Jesus. Our holiness <coughs> is in the new man. Peter says we're born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible seed by, <coughs> excuse me, by the enduring word of God. I just want to pause here just for a moment. Lord, we just worship you this morning. We exalt you. Lord, I just come against this, this cough or whatever. It was distracting. You're trying to distract me from teaching the Word of God. And I rebuke it in Jesus' name. And Lord, I just thank you for a clear throat and uh, Lord, uh, my, my vocal cords to work as you have designed them to work. And we just rebuke this cough in Jesus' name. And I will speak with clarity and we will hear your word with clarity in Jesus' name. We give you thanks and glory. Amen. Amen? So, you know, when we're <coughs> talking about holiness, we have, and I made this point last week, but I'm trying to make it again this morning, is that the only thing that can make you and I holy is Jesus. 
There is no holiness without Jesus. Only the blood of Jesus can make you or anything else holy. The writer of Hebrews, <coughs> in Hebrews chapter 9, expounds on this from the, from the, the law, that only by the, blood of Je only by the blood can anything become holy. In the Old Testament, the blood of the Lamb is what made the law itself holy. It was what made everything holy. The priests, the, the, the tabernacle, all the instruments. It's what made the people. The people were sprinkled with the blood. We, everything was sanctified by the blood of the Lamb. Without the blood of the Lamb, there is no holiness. Okay, so only the blood of Jesus can make us holy. We have to establish that back from the beginning. See, if you have any holiness in you, it's not because of you. It's because of the presence and the breath of God that is in you. It is God, it is Christ in you that has made, made you sacred and set apart. Excuse me. Holiness, I talked about this last week. Holiness is God's plan for man. God did not create sin. God did not create man in sin. God created man in his own image and his likeness. And God said man was good. He actually said it was very good. Everything God made, including man and especially man, was good. God created man in holiness. Sin, through Adam's disobedience, entered the world. Enter man's life, and man became spiritually died. But Christ has redeemed us from the curse. But God, but my point I'm trying to make right now is that God created man for holiness. God did not create man to live in sin. Man, sin will destroy your life. Even though uh, my favorite verse, "He who knew no sin became sin, that we might become the righteous of God in Christ Jesus." Jesus took our sin, he crucified it, he buried it. Sin is dead. And sin is no longer an issue between us and God. But sin will still destroy our lives. It will destroy our lives horizontally. The effects and wages of sin is still death. Sin is dead. You are the happiest. You're the most fulfilled when you are living and walking in holiness. And holiness is a natural order of things. We talked about this last week. We have the Holy Word. We have the Holy Bible. God is holy. The holy. We have the Holy Spirit. We have the Holy Trinity. The list goes on and on and on. But we also talked last week uh, from, first, uh, from First Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 7, and I'm not going to read the whole context again, but it says, For God did not call us to uncleanness or unholiness, but God has called us to holiness. We are called to holiness. Well, I want to. I said that. I said. I say that after the fact of establishing the fact. I hope it makes sense what you said. Upon establishing the fact that we are only holy by the blood of Jesus Christ, based on we have to know where that holiness originates. We need to know the source of our holiness is not us, but even though we are only made holy by putting on Jesus Christ, by putting on Jesus Christ, we are called to holiness. God has called us. God has created us. God's purpose for us is to live a holy life. Okay? I'm, I'm just recapping a few things I said last week 
when adding a few more things to those notes. Okay? Now we're talking about the beauty of God's holiness. See, when it's man or religion, the religion trying to produce holiness and live a holy life, it's not beautiful. It's ugly. It's destructive. It's actually bondage. It's pride. It's man. It's selfish. But when it's when it's God, when it's his nature, when we are born again, and it's his nature, his beauty. <coughs> His holiness operating in and through our lives. It's beautiful. Okay? Um, so we are called to holiness. Uh, see, we are made holy by His grace. We can't earn grace. We can't earn holiness. We are made holy by His grace. But that grace is only activated when we put faith in it. And when we know who we are, which includes holiness and true righteousness, then they will begin to activate in our lives. We have to put the faith in His grace, which is includes, because we're talking about holiness. We need to put faith in His grace where that holiness originates. Holiness is Jesus living in us and through us, no matter where we, what condition or what situation we're going through, or no matter what our station of life is. I made that point last week. You know, as a husband, as a pastor, those are my two main vocations that I have, that you know, I need God's holiness in my life to be the good husband and to be a good pastor that God has called me and ordained me to be. But when I try to do it in the flesh, it's not pretty. Ask my wife, she'll tell you. Okay, now we can all say the same thing. But when it's God, when His holiness is operating in my life as a husband, as a pastor, as a brother, it's beautiful. It's very beautiful. Okay, um, I'm just trying to <coughs> recap some points here and hopefully get some new territory here in just a second. We will not understand or operate holiness without this revelation that I've been crucified with Christ. And it's no longer I who live, but it's Christ who lives in me. We must understand that. That, must, that cannot just be a memory verse that we quote and, re and, and recite. We need to get that into our system that we, it's no longer us who live, but it's Christ who lives in us. See, many times we reduce holiness to some cultural issues that I talked about last week. Instead of manifesting the Spirit of God and the life of Jesus in an unholy culture, we are the light and not the tail. We are above and not beneath. We are the head and not the tail. And we are the light of the world. We are the salt of the earth. But if we're not living holy, and we're not walking holy, then we are putting that light underneath a bushel, and that salt is gonna will lose its saltiness, will lose its its its, its uh, um, savor. And so anyway, um, holy. Uh, I'm trying to just read some notes here, but I want to get some new territory. So let's go ahead and uh, go to um, Hebrews chapter twelve. Okay. Let's take it back up for another notch. Okay. We go to Hebrews chapter 12. We're going to pick it up at verse 10. Okay. Now I want to give just a little bit of context here. Hebrews chapter 12 follows, obviously, Hebrews chapter 11. Okay. Hebrews chapter 11 is the hill of faith. 
And we also know that the book of Hebrews, <coughs> whoever the author may be, is writing to who? The Hebrews. So he's writing to the Jews. He's writing to those who are, again, the Jews. Okay? Natural Israel. But in context in chapter 12, when he starts the chapter, we talk about fixing our eyes on Jesus, <coughs> the author and the finisher of faith. And then he goes into talking about how the father disciplines his child. Or chastises his son. He chastises the one he loves. We talked about that in our last series, seeing Jesus in the Revelation. That when God chastises us, he chastises us as sons. He disciplines us as sons. He's not punishing us. No, he punished our sin in Jesus. He dealt with our sin. He poured out his wrath in Jesus. But he's disciplining us. He's discipling us. Because the word disciple and discipline are very... We are a disciplined lawyer. We are being discipled. Just like a coach. <clears throat> a good, you show me any good athlete, any good sports team, they're good because they had a good coach. They had good training. No matter what your, what, at what your vocation is or skill Someone who's in arts, or a musician, or a good movie star, or whatever a vocation may be, uh, a good accountant, a good whatever your your profession may be, you are there because you have some good mentors, you have some good teachers, you have some good instructors. Any good child is that a good child because they had some good parenting or mentoring. Someone is behind the scenes. Even if they're just coaching and encouraging you uh, along the way, well, um, <clears throat> we need and, and they're good. They're a good athlete because they've been disciplined to, in, in a skill. They've been they've matured in a skill. They're you know any any veteran in, in any type of skill or hobby or vocation or sport is good because they're not a rookie anymore. They've learned, they've matured. They have been disciplined. Uh, not just by a good coach, but they've also been disciplined by what works, what doesn't work. And they just have been hopefully matured with age and experience. Does that make sense? And so, discipline is our training. It's, our, it's not always, we always put it in the context of, of, uh, of, of punishment. It can include that. A good coach is going to discipline his team. A good parent is going to discipline their kids. If, if they were to get out of whack or they have wrong mindsets or wrong behaviors, a good coach, you know. Well, I just watched a, a movie the other day, uh, The Perfect perfect Game. These uh, uh, Mexicans who were uh, had won the Little League World Series years ago. And uh, um, the star pitcher of this team, he pitched a perfect game at the Little League World Series. And, and you know, the, the coach... He was a good coach, you know. He, he uh, but he would he disciplined his team. If they acted up, they 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 fussed and fighted, whatever the case would be. They would have to run laps. And he didn't care where they were, even if they were driving in the bus, he wouldn't let the bus uh, trail alongside while they're just doing their their laps wherever they were. Whatever was going on, it wasn't going to keep him from disciplining them. There was even one game where they won the game, but they didn't follow the directions of a coach. And so after the game, they had to do laps. He was disciplining. He was building character. He was building 
the, the principals. And, 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 and it worked because they won the World Series. They had respect for their coach. They had respect for one another because they were disciplined. And so um, discipline is a good thing. It's a lovely thing. And any good child has been disciplined by a good parent. See, punishment deals with your past. But discipline deals with your future. And we are disciples of Christ. We're going to be disciplined. We're going to let the Lord discipline us as a father, as our guide, as our coach, as our counselor. And we're going to be disciplined. So that's the context he's talking about. And I want to pick it up here in verse 10. For they are fathers, he's talking about. He's talking about our fathers disciplining us. <coughs> but they indeed... For they indeed for a few days chastened us as seemed best to them. But he, God, for our prophet, that we may be partakers of his holiness. I want you to see this. God disciplines us so that we might be partakers of whose holiness? His. We're not being disciplined so we can be partakers of our own holiness through religion, we are being disciplined so we can be partakers of His holiness. If we put on Christ, we already have true holiness and righteousness. But just because we have it doesn't mean we've been disciplined to know how to walk in it. How to use it. You know, a child has all the muscles in his body and everything you have, but Every child has learned how to develop those muscles, and some have learned how to develop them in areas better for sports and for athletics and, and for the arts and, and in different trades and, and whatnot. But you're not going to be partakers of the, using the muscles that you have and different things if you don't know how to use them. But we have His holiness. He wants us to be disciplined that we can be partakers of His holiness. Verse 11 says, Now no chastening seems to be joyful. Even the coach disciplining their Go through the skills and the training and the drills. It's not always pleasuresome. You know, I, I didn't take many. I took one guitar lesson class. Actually, we met a few times. And then the guy, uh, he, I don't know, he kind of left Dodge. He just never showed up. So usually the student doesn't show up. But this time the teacher stopped showing up. But anyway, I remember when I first was learning guitar, I didn't get very far. But I wanted to learn guitar. I wanted to play a song. I wanted to worship. But the first thing he was teaching me was scales. And I'm like, did I sign up for the wrong class? Because I thought we were going to sing songs. I thought we were going to learn chords and play songs. And the first thing he taught me was scales. And he just wanted me to scale, 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 scale. And my fingers were hurting, 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 hurting. It wasn't pleasurable. And because I probably wasn't very disciplined and he stopped showing up, I never learned to play the guitar very well. I can't play. I can play some things, and some people wish I played more. Some people are glad I don't play it at all. But uh, but uh, anyway, but anything, whatever, whatever, whatever we're gonna do, it's uh, not any good chasing, any good discipline doesn't seem to be joyful for the present, but painful. Nevertheless, afterward, it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness. I gotta come back to this. Fruit of righteous to those who have been trained by it. A, pa a good parent, a good coach, a good pastor, our Father, is training us <coughs> to be partakers of His holiness. 
And when we learn that, and when we learn, when we learn to be trained by it, it will produce the fruit of righteousness. When we've been trained by it, when we've learned it. We're going to come back to some of that. Okay? But I want to deal with some things here first. Verse 12. Therefore strengthen the hands which have hang, hang down, and the feeble knees, and make straight paths for your feet. So what is lame may not be dislocated, but rather be healed. Pursue peace with all people and holiness, without which no one will see the Lord. Looking carefully, <coughs> as anyone falls short of the grace of God, that any root of bitterness springing up cause trouble, and by this many become defiled. Now there's a lot, a lot of different things here, but I want to deal with a couple things. The big verse here is verse 14. Pursue peace with all people and holiness, without which no one will see the Lord. This is the big verse that I've heard most of my life, that's it, and most people only quoted part of the verse, without holiness no one will see the Lord. They didn't mention the first part of the verse, let alone the context. But I've heard all my life this, this phrase, uh, and taken out of context, that if without holiness no one will see the Lord. In other words, the, 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 the way I heard that growing up and through the years, and actually I just heard a message a couple weeks ago, that without holiness no one will see the Lord. If you don't live holy, you will not see God. In other words, and the way I, my connotation I heard it growing up, was if you don't live holy, you're not going to heaven. And I, I'm gonna, I want to teach this morning, I want to deal with the sacred cow, and I want to tip that cow over, that our holiness is not based on what we do, our holiness is based on what Jesus did. Amen? That's what we teach in this church. Only the blood of Jesus can make us holy. We have put off the old man in the spirit of our mind. We have put on the new man who is created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. And holiness is not what we do. Holiness is who we put on. But in context here, verse 13, I just want to read something here. Actually, I got this from Andrew's commentary. But verse 13, verse 13 says again, let me just read that. And make straight paths for your feet so that what is laid may not be dislocated, but rather be healed. Andrew says this in his commentary. A lame man can't traverse the same terrain as someone who is not lame. So we should conduct our lives in a way that those who are weak can follow our example and be healed. In other words, don't be a stumbling block to others who are lame or weaker in the faith. Okay? And he goes on to say, in context... Provider instructs us not to walk in a manner that will cause others to stumble. He's referring to verse 13. Verse 14 is not about us seeing God if we don't act in the holy manner. No one will see God in our lives if we don't live in the holy manner. Okay? Which leads right into verse, verse, verse 15. Verse 15 says, Look carefully, lest anyone fall short of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springs up, causing tr uh, uh, up, cause trouble, and by this many become defiled. It says here in verse 15, Look carefully, lest anyone fall short of grace. You cannot earn grace by what you do. 
And for those who say, by holiness no one will see the Lord, if it's talking about your holiness, well then it's no longer grace. It can't be grace. You can't earn your own, uh, you can't earn your own salvation by your own holiness. Whose holiness? But I believe this verse is saying, in, in, in context with everyone else that I, I know, or listened to recently, like Andrew, I believe this verse is not talking about without holiness, we won't see God. Jesus told Nicodemus, unless you're born again, you won't see the kingdom of God. I believe this verse is saying, unless without holiness, others won't see Jesus in you. And actually, if you read the, the verse, and I was listening to Dwayne Sheriff on this, it, the whole verse says, pursue peace with all people and holiness. People are not going to see God in you if we're fussing and fighting with one another. People are not going to see God in us if we're not living holy lives. That make, that make sense? Jesus said that by this will people know that you are my disciples, by your love for one another. Jesus that prayed in John 17 that we, that we would uh, be one as he is one so that the world would know that, Jesus, that God sent him. Our number one evangelistic tool for people to see God is how we treat one another. Okay? See, it also talks about verse 15, bitterness. Bitterness is a poison. Bitterness affects people. Bitterness will cause people and yourself to stumble. It's ugly. Anyway, I'm dealing with right now the, the sacred cow that we believe that by holiness we won't see God. No, I believe in according to scripture, and I'm going to use some other supporting scriptures here in, the, in a second, that without holiness people won't see God in us. See, when we're not pursuing peace and we're not living holy, we're not beautiful. We're ugly. And we've all had moments of ugliness. When the church is not pursuing peace, the body of Christ is not pursuing peace. It is not beautiful. When the church is not living holy lives that we've been called to, when we're not living lives that are consistent with the new man that we put on. See, a hypocrite, a hypocrite is one who's living like he's not. He's pretending to be someone he's not. If you are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus, but you don't live righteously, that is a hypocrite. Because according to the word of God, if you are born, if you have received Christ, you are born again. And that's not how you live. You are a child of God. And a child of God lives a certain way. There's a fruit that comes out of that life. And we're going to get into it in a few moments if I have a lot of time. It's called the fruit of holiness. It's called what we just read about, the fruit of righteousness. And those who have been trained by. Because when we've been disciplined, discipled, in who we are, we will be partakers of His holiness. And when we are partakers of His holiness, and we are uh, yielding the peaceful fruit of <coughs> righteousness, it's beautiful. And it will edify the body of Christ. And it will edify those who see our lives in our doctrine. Paul exhorted Timothy, watch your life and doctrine closely, for you will save both yourself and those who hear you. People hear us. We are living epistles according to 2 Corinthians chapter 3. People are watching our lives, especially if we put the tag 
we are Christian, that we, 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 we proclaim to be a Christian. People are watching how we act and how we respond and what we do. We need to pursue peace. You know, just that word pursue tells me that peace is not just, it's not complacent. It doesn't just happen. You have to pursue it. And uh, real quickly, I just want to go with this fruit of righteousness for a moment. Go with me to James chapter 3. I've taught on this before. I've taught on this recently when we talked about wisdom. I think James chapter 3 is what I call the wisdom chapter. <coughs> and in context, James is comparing the wisdom of man that is sensual, is earthly, is demonic. Where there's envy, and, verse 16 says, where there's envy and strife, there is confusion and every evil work. When we are fussing and fighting with one another, and when we're not walking holy, we are confusing the world. We are confusing the body of Christ. We are brought confusion to the situation. But when we're walking in peace, and we're walking in holiness, there's a stability. There's a steadfastness. There's a, there's a pillar of what I call wisdom. And, uh, and, and um, anyway, I hope you're making sense by what, what I'm saying here. But verse 17 says this, But the wisdom that is from above is first pure, it's then peaceable, gentle, willing to yield, full of mercy and of good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy. Verse 18 is where I want to get to now. Now the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make My subject this morning is not really about how we treat one another, but you're going to find out a lot of these scriptures about holiness. It's tied in. It's in there, you know. And so, and actually, if we go back to Ephesians four, where we started this morning, in context, Paul is talking about he's given the fivefold ministry for the equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry, till we all come to the, the full stature of the body of Christ, and we no longer be children tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine, but that in him we would grow up in him in all things, and we can edify one another in love. And then he goes on to talk about what we just talked about, that we would have not so learned Christ, but that the truth that's in Christ, that we put off the old man, and spirit of mind, we put on the new man, who is created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. And then he goes on to say, when we devour one another, and bite one another, and betray one another, and speak evil, and gossip one another, we grieve the Spirit of God. For the same God who has forgiven us, and shown us mercy, we need to forgive one another. And so, that's, when we're not, when we devour one another, we are not pursuing peace. We are not being, uh, we are not showing holiness that magnifies God. But we need to be trained and disciplined to know who we are so we know how to treat one another and we know how to live a holy life. Okay? Am I making sense this morning? Okay? But holy, so holiness is not what we do. Holiness is who we put on. But whose holiness must we have for others to see the Lord? Are we, do we want people to see our holiness? Which is not beautiful. Or do we want him to see God's See, I see God. See, it's not my holiness that enables me to see God. 
I see God because I'm born again of his righteousness. John 3, 3 says that I'm born again. I can see God. I can see his kingdom. And when I see God because of his righteousness, it's beautiful. But I see God because of his righteousness imputed to me by faith in Jesus Christ. In other words, I'm not living holy to see God or be accepted. Go with me real quick here to Matthew 5, 16. This is going to support what I just said in Hebrews chapter 12. Matthew 5, 16. And Jesus is speaking and he says, <coughs> I'm going to start at verse 15. Nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand. And it gives light to all who are in the house. That your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Again, without holiness, no one would pursue, pursue, pursue peace with all men. And holiness, for without it, without peace and holiness, no one will see the Lord. But more specifically, I'm dealing with the holiness. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. It's not talking again about me living holy so I can see God. It's me living holy so people can see God in me. So that they won't stumble. So they can be healed. It says in the context. But Jesus says here in Matthew 5, Let your light so shine. You know, so many times we leave out that word so. Let your light so shine before who? Men. That they may see your good works and glorify your Father, which is in heaven. We're not doing good works. We're not living holy to impress God. No, if we're born again, God's already impressed with us because of Jesus. Amen? That's the cornerstone of the gospel. God's already impressed with us. Even when we were sinners, Christ died for us. But because of Jesus, God's already impressed with us because of Jesus. Because of his holiness. God's not impressed with our self-righteousness. God's only impressed with Jesus, the beauty of his holiness. So we're not letting our lights so shine before God. We're letting our lights shine before man. We're not trying to impress God we are living holy. No, if we receive Christ, we already have holiness. We're trying to impress people, but we're not trying to impress people out of the show that the Lord doesn't see us. We're trying to impress people so they can see God in us. That make sense? And, uh, and maybe I'm using it in a way that, that uh, maybe I'm putting the wrong connotation on it. I'm not trying to impress people in that sense. I'm just using that connotation right now. But we're, we're laying our life so shine before men. I'm being careful how I treat one another. I'm being careful how I, I'm, I'm, I'm personifying Jesus in people's lives. So that they see God and glorify Him. I don't want the glory to come to me. I want them to see me and glorify the Father. That make sense? By my good deeds, by what I do, how I treat people, how I love one another, and how I live a righteous, holy life. And I live a righteous, holy life not because of who I am, but because of who God is in me. And I've allowed God to discipline me and disciple me to so learn to be saturated and permeated 
and putting off the old man, and the spirit of my mind putting on the new man, who is created according to God in true righteousness holiness. When I mess up, and I'm not living in the spirit like I should, I'm living in the flesh, I need to be disciplined by God to be reminded who I am so that his life can be, 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 be manifested in my life. That including sometimes when after I messed up and throwing a bag of apologies and making it right and, and living a holy life. Let me get a little ahead of myself here. See, holiness is not so I see God. Holiness is so people can see God in me. And that's beautiful. When people see Jesus in me, that's beautiful. When people see my flesh, it's not beautiful. When people see my my religion, my religiousness, if I can put it that way, that's not beautiful. But when people see Jesus, it's beautiful. Holiness is so people see the goodness of God in me. Holiness is so people see the love of God in me. Holiness is so people see the mercy of God in me. See, holiness is not to get God to love me. I've heard this taught in, in growing up. I've heard it taught in recent days. Without holiness, um, God won't love you. And, uh, let me say that again because I, I was distracted there for a second. I've heard it been taught, I've heard it been said, that unless we live holy, God's not going to love us. And that's not true. Unless we live holy, God will pour out his wrath on you. I've heard that and said, I know people who are trapped in that theology. But church, it says in Romans 5:8, God demonstrated his love for us while we were still sinners. If God loved you while you didn't even care about God, now he died for you. Now that he died for you, you received him. Why would he pour out his wrath on you because of your sin? That's not God. That's not the nature of God. That's not Bible. That's not how God operates. No, God demonstrated his love for you while you were still a sinner. That's beautiful. That's the nature of God. Jesus said this in John 14, 15. He says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Now, people think that when I'm teaching them on this, I'm going right back into law, and I'm teaching people to obey the commandments, whatever. You know, he said, Jesus said, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. I'm not living holy for God to be pleased with me and love me. I'm living holy because I love him. In other, in other words, if God has told me to do something, I want to honor that. There's things that my wife will tell me to do or ask me to do. I don't do it so she loves me back. I do it so I, because I want to honor that. I want to honor her. How many of us do things because we honor one another? We honor our country. We honor, I don't care what everyone else is doing. I honor my country. I honor my wife. I honor my church. I honor my pastor. I honor my, my employer and my employees. I honor one another. I don't do it so they break please with me. I do it because I want, I love them. I want honor and respect them. And I also do it because God knows best. When I do it my way, I make a mess. 
But when I do his way, I bring honor to him. I glorify him. When I had a job, I did what my employer did because that was what I was hired to do. But I also knew some things were because I wanted to honor my employer. I want to honor that church where I was attending. You know, when you're part of a church, <coughs> on a job, and you're relating to the public, everything you do represents that business, that church. Everything I do represents Christian God. Everything I do represents my wife. Everything I do represents this church. And I do things not just to get people to like me or to impress God. I do things to honor Him. I do things to honor my wife. Even things that have nothing to do with her, but just the things that I do. Uh, I do things to honor this church. I can, there's some things any, I can do that would bring dishonor to this church, that would bring dishonor to my wife, that would bring dishonor to my Lord and Savior. I do because I love Him. Not because I'm trying to get pleased with Him and be pleased with me. Our holiness is also showing God how much I love Him. And when it's done right, when it's done unselfish, and it's not done with self-righteousness, church is beautiful. When we honor one another, it's beautiful. When we dishonor one another and we're selfish, it's not beautiful. That makes sense. I'm making just some simple points right now. And some people might be thinking I'm going right back to law and religion. No. We are called to holiness, Paul said. We are, we are to possess our bodies in holiness, Paul said. We are called to holiness. We have put on the new man in, in true righteousness and holiness. See, holiness is not avoiding God's wrath. Paul says in Galatians 3.13 that Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law. The curse was God's wrath on sin. Jesus became our sin and the full wrath of God crucified him. Jesus is not uh, holiness is not avoiding God's wrath. Holiness is God's call into our life. Holiness is who we are in Jesus Christ. Holy, see, I put off the old man who's been crucified in Christ. The old man's already been crucified. He's already been received the wrath of God through Jesus, my Redeemer, my propitiation, the Lamb of God. I'm holiness is who I am. See, I'm trying to say this too in the context, we can't scare people into being holy. We can't manipulate people into being holy. We can't condemn people into being holy. Those are ungodly means. No, it's the goodness of God that leads us to repentance. God has redeemed us from the curse of the law. See, holiness is not just so I can go to heaven. I live holy to bring heaven to earth. Jesus said, or Paul said in Ephesians 2, 5, God has quickened us from who were dead in our trespasses and sins. 
And he made us alive in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Let's go there real quick. Ephesians 2, 2, 6. Am I making sense? I'm trying not to go too fast. I'm also trying not to go too slow. But there's just some points, and, some, and many, many things are just very elementary teachings. But I'm dealing with some sacred cows. And sometimes by dealing with sacred cows, some of us have thrown out the baby with the bathwater. Okay? But let's read uh, Ephesians 2 5 and 6 again. Even when we were dead in our trespasses, made, I'm going to go back to verse 4, but God, who is rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ, for he makes been saved, and raised us up together, and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Holiness is not me trying to go to heaven. If I'm in Christ, I'm already in heaven. I'm already sitting together with him in heavenly places. I believe there's a real heaven. It's going to be beautiful. We talked about it in brief in the, in the last series that we talked about Jesus coming again. But eternal life is not going to a place. Eternal life is knowing and having a relationship with Jesus. And if I'm in Christ, I'm already seated with him in heavenly places. Holiness is not trying to get me to go to heaven. Holiness is living in the heaven I'm already in. It's bringing heaven to my earth. Heaven is already in me. Holiness is not trying to get me to heaven. Holiness is bringing heaven to my world. And when I'm living in peace with one another, and when I'm living holy, I am bringing glory to God. I believe holiness will take us to another level a little bit later. But I believe holiness is healing the sick, raising the dead, and speaking life into situations. That's the holiness of God. And we, but we need to know who we are so we can bring that peace and we can bring that life and we can bring that salvation by God's grace to the, those situations. Am, am I making sense with that? I'm not living holy to be made righteous. I am the righteous God. But go with me real quick here to 1 Corinthians 15. Verse 34. I quote this verse a lot, but I want to actually read the whole thing in context. Actually, not the context so much, but this the verse. It says, Awake to righteousness and do not sin. For some do not have the knowledge of God. I speak this to your shame. I'm not, again, my point here, I'm trying to make right now, I'm not living holy to be made righteous. No, Paul says we awake to righteousness and sin not. We awake to the righteousness we already have. We awake to, to righteousness is, is who we put on. We put the truth that's in Christ is that, that we've been so saturated, we've been so learned, is that we put off the old man. And in the spirit of our mind, we put on the new man who is created according to God in righteousness and true holiness. He who knew those sin became sin that I might become the righteousness of God. 
Holy is, is awakening, being awakened to the righteousness and the holiness I already have in Christ Jesus. Okay? But Paul says, uh, well, some do not have this knowledge. Some don't have this awakening. Some don't have this knowledge of who they are. And he says, I speak this to your shame. It's wrong. It's, it's, it's immature. We're going to get into some of that a little bit later. But it's immature to not to know who you are in Christ. That's immature. And because you don't know who you are, you're not living like who you are. But, you know, even though I know theologically, because I teach on this, I know I'm the righteous God of Christ Jesus. I know my holiness is not who I am, but it's who, who Christ in me. I need this reminder. I mean, no, life happens. And life is not always fair. People are not always nice. Things are happening in our world, and, and both in the church and, and outside the church. But I need to be reminded in certain situations who I am in Christ. So I don't behave out of the flesh, but I behave out of the Spirit. You know? And even if there was no one else around, just my own stinking thinking gets me in trouble. Sometimes I just, you ever wake up with bad mood? <coughs> you ever wake up and you don't even know why you're acting the way you are, but you just can't seem to break it? I need to be reminded who I am in Christ. I need to wake to His righteousness. I need to be reminded of His holiness. So His nature flows in my life. And I start thinking pure thoughts. And I start pursuing peace. And I start living like a child of God again. I didn't become unborn again, but I forgot who I was. And I needed to be awakened to that truth. Okay, I want to switch gears here. I want to make one more point to today before we wrap it up. Okay, I just have about 15 minutes. So let's go to Romans chapter 6. Hope I'm making sense. In some ways, this is a deep message. But I'm just trying to deal with this sacred cow. Especially, you know, I heard a message that kind of spurred this on two weeks ago. I imagine this. It reminded me of a message I heard all my life. That without right holiness, we won't see God. And the message was about performance. That's wrong. It's not grace. And that's not holiness is who we are. At the same point in time, some people who think, who embrace grace like we do, have this concept in theology that it can do whatever they want. Now, grace teaches us. Teaching is discipline. Being discipled, being taught, is being learning something, training, training in this right, being disciplined. But it teaches us to deny ungodliness. We have to deny ungodliness. But grace teaches us to do that. We have to be taught that. And we have to be reminded of that. Okay? It's not just automatic in that regard. We have to be taught. We have to be disciplined and trained to live what we've been called to do. And what we've been called to holiness. Okay? I think this last point will help tie a lot of things together. But now having been set free from sin, and not having become slaves of God, 
and have, I'm sorry, let me say that again. But now, having been set free from sin, and having become slaves of God, you have your fruit to holiness and the end everlasting life. A couple things I want to point out here. One main thing that I want to point out is the first. I've said this before in many other contexts. And he starts out by saying, but now. When's now? Okay, now's not in the future. In the future. Now's not yesterday. Now is now. But now, having been having been set free from sin. We're not being set free. We're not gonna be set free. We are set free now. We have already been now, we have already been set free. And having become slaves, our bond servants of Christ, of God. Okay? That's another message I'm not going to go into all that right now. But we'll deal with that a little bit later in our, in our series. But you, but now because you've been set free from sin, you have your fruit to holiness and the end everlasting life. See, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. We, we've heard that all of our lives. Most of us have but I'm focusing on verse 22. It says, but now, because you've been set free from sin, you have your fruit to holiness. I want to deal with this fruit unto holiness. It goes with what we talked about already, the fruit of righteousness. And I want to tie these together. And I want to, I want to look at the fruit of holiness. Before we look at the fruit of holiness, let's do this. Let's ask this question. What's a fruit? Some of you might, might be thinking, an apple, a pear, or a, a peach, and, you know, whatever. Well, yes, I get that. I know there's different kinds of fruit. But by definition, or what's a fruit? A fruit is a byproduct of what the tree already is. An apple grows, and it doesn't now become an apple tree. No, it produces an apple. Because a tree is an apple tree. A fruit is a byproduct of what the tree already is. A fruit is the manifestation that comes from the root. A fruit is the outworking of the seed that was already planted. The fruit, again, is the byproduct of what the tree already is. We are already created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. We have already put on Christ, who is true righteousness and holiness. A tree springs up, and the fruit appears as a byproduct of what the tree already is. You cannot produce fruits of holiness if you're not already holy. That make sense? But if you don't know who you are, or you've forgotten who you are, or theologically you know you're a child of God, but you are still acting like a, a child of Adam, and not a child of God, you're still acting in the flesh, you're, you have not been transformed by the renewing of your mind, you have not put off the old man and the spirit of your mind, put on the new man who was created. And where do you do make that transition? Where do you make that transformation? In your mind. You're re, you're, you're, you're renew your, 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 um, 
We are transformed by the renewing of our mind. That word renew in the Greek in, from Romans chapter 12 means to renovate. You renovate your mind. To be naturally minded is death. To be spiritually minded is life and peace. James talks about double-mindedness. Being unstable in all our ways. We know we're a Christian, but we live like the devil throughout the week. Or we live like Adam. Or we live like man. Or we live like a sinner. Or we, whatever, however you want to phrase that. Sometimes we're just Sunday Christians. Sometimes we, 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 have, a, we have a name badge. We, we know we're a Christian, but we don't act like it. We don't think like it. We don't produce like it. But we have, we have been grafted. We were in Adam, and we've been grafted into Christ. <coughs> it's like an, a branch of an orange tree being grafted into an apple tree. In time, that branch is going to produce apples because the tree, the sap, the life that's going through the conduit of that very branch is apples. It, it's not... The branch by itself is not going to produce apples. That's ridiculous. The branch produces apples because the tree is apples. We produce righteousness and holiness. The fruit of righteousness and holiness because that's who we are. But if in our minds, the way we think, we're not awakened to that truth. We don't know who we are. We won't pursue peace and we won't pursue holiness so people can see God. That makes sense? You know, I heard a pastor speak a few weeks ago. <coughs> he was going to talk on uh, sowing and reaping and we were having a conversation before he spoke. I don't remember the details of the conversation, but I remember the subject matter we were talking about selling and reaping. And somewhere in that conversation, it just came up. I just said, you know, I've heard it. I think I've heard this from Andrew or someone. But it's mine now because I've used it many times, according to Andrew. But if you don't like what you're harvesting, then change the seed. If you don't like carrots, stop producing Stop sowing peas. I stop sowing green beans. If you sow if you sow corn, you're gonna produce corn. If you sow beans, you're gonna produce beans. But if you don't want beans, don't sow beans. It says in Galatians chapter four or six, I think it's verse seven. If you sow to the flesh. Of the flesh you'll reap corruption. But if you sow to the spirit, of the spirit you will reap everlasting life. <coughs> if you want holiness, then sow holiness. If you want to act, walk in, the Bible says it, this, Paul says it this way, if you walk in the spirit, you won't fulfill the lust of the flesh. The key is not trying to control the flesh. Through self-righteousness or self-holiness. The key is walking in the Spirit. That's who you are. See, if you're born again and you're walking <coughs> according to the flesh, you're walking like a hypocrite. Because that's not who you are. 
Your true nature, if you're born again, is Christ. Which is true righteousness and true holiness. That's why Paul says, the truth that you so learned is that you put off the old man and put on the new man. We have, I don't know about you, but sometimes daily, especially when we're going through something, or something's going on, we have to, by God's grace, choose, make a choice. I'm going to be led of the Spirit, and I'm not going to let my flesh control my tongue, my mouth, my actions, my thoughts. I'm going to be led of God. Because I want the fruit of righteousness. I want the fruit of peace. I want the fruit of holiness in my life and through my life. I want my light to so shine before men that they see my good works and glorify God. I get it, my flesh wants to do this or that. But I'm not going to control. I'm going to walk into the Spirit so I don't fulfill the lust of the flesh. Sometimes my flesh wants to be discouraged. Sometimes my flesh wants to be depressed. But I'm not going to, that's not the fruit of holiness. That's not the fruit of God. So if I don't want that harvest, if I don't like that harvest, then I need to change my crop. I need to change my thinking. It's called discipleship. Which is called discipline. I have to train myself. I have to teach myself that I am born again, not a corruptible seed, but an incorruptible seed. Making sense this morning? See, righteousness, true holiness, comes from within. It's from the trees, from the sap. I'm born again. I'm in Christ. I'm grafted into Him. He's a source, not me. And when He's a source, and when He is living in my life, in my thoughts, in my behaviors, towards one another, church, that is beautiful. And the fruit of righteousness, the fruit of peace, the fruit of holiness, is beautiful. I just read James chapter 3 that the fruit that's above is peaceful. So it's, it's willing to be entreated. It's full of mercy, without partiality, without hypocrisy. It, James compared it to another fruit and it's called when there's envy and strife, there's confusion and there's evil work. And a lot of people, both in the church and in the world, Especially the church, when they are not acting, there's not the fruit of peace and the fruit of righteousness, the fruit of holiness is not being evident in their life. It's bringing confusion and envy and every evil work. It's not beautiful. When I see self people being self-righteous, condemning and putting down other people, that is not beautiful. But when I see Jesus hanging out with the publicans and sinners, not condoning their lifestyle, but showing his love and his, uh, his goodness and his mercy and his grace. When I see Jesus washing the disciples' feet. When I see Jesus saying to the woman caught in adultery, I have, where are your accusers? Neither have I accused you. Go and sin no more. When I see Jesus laying hands on the sick and they recover. 
All these things are beautiful. When Jesus comes to Zacchaeus' house, and Zacchaeus, he's not scolding him, he's just showing him love and acceptance and whatnot. Zacchaeus says, on his own accord, if I've sold from anyone, I'll give four times back. He says, salvation has come to this house. When, the, when I read the story of the prodigal and the father has come running to his son, he's not scolding his son, he's receiving his son. And he puts the, 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 the ring of authority on his finger, the rub of righteousness on his shoulders, the, the, son does, the, the sandals of sonship back on his feet. He, he says, let's kill the fat of calf and celebrate because my son has come home. It's beautiful. But when the older brother is saying, I'm not going to come in. I'm not going to receive my brother. I'm not even going to receive my father's invitation. That's not beautiful. It's ugly. It's confusing. And it's every evil work. The fruit of righteousness is Christ. But we need to be planted. We need to abide. We need to be awakened. We need to know who we are. And put off the old man and put on the new man who's created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. It's beautiful. Anything else is not. Religion is not beautiful. Religion is ugly. Religion will keep you in bondage. Religion will you'll be like a dog chasing its tail. Why wonder why it doesn't work? Trying striving to appease God when God has already appeased your sin through Jesus. And not only that, not only so you can go to heaven, but so you can bring heaven to earth and change your world and, and be a light in this dark world. It, it, hopefully we can learn and get to a point where we learn not only is holiness to bring life and bring God's life in my circumstance, in my situation, we can bring God's holiness to an unholy world and put the light on the threshold and say, we are the light of the world. Jesus demonstrated that. The only people who tried to put out the light were the religious leaders. The world wasn't snuffing out the light. They received it. And I want my light to so shine before men that they see my good works and glorify my Father in heaven. I want, my, I want to pursue peace and holiness so that people see Jesus in me. They see his grace. And so that the, the lame can walk and be healed. See, when we're not pursuing peace and we're not pursuing holiness, what happens to the lame? They never get healed. They are, we trample over people with our words. We trample, you know, and the worst thing, I've seen it happen in the church. I've seen it happen in this church. I've seen it happen with other people. And people trample over people. And it's ugly, it's ungodly, it's demonic. I'm not trying to be harsh. But my heart as a pastor is equipped the saints for the work of the ministry. That we all come to the fullness of the stature of Christ. That we will edify us, ourselves in love. See, my heart, my job as a pastor is to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. For the edifying of the body of Christ. My job is to equip you to minister to one another. That's holiness. That's the beauty of holiness. My job is, yes, I minister to you, but my job is to equip you so that you can minister to one to another. That's called the body of Christ. That is why God has given these gifts of pastors, apostles, or prophets for the edifying of the body of Christ. 
Does that make sense? And so we're going to be talking about this. Uh, I got probably at least one more week with uh, this, this, this topic here. Uh, the beauty of His holiness. There's some more points I just want to drive home that we haven't dealt with yet. But then I, I want to move on to talking about some more issues of spiritual maturity and growing in Christ. So we mature and become fruitful and edifying to both the church, one another, and the world. And so our own selves will become established because we're growing and we're maturing. And we're not going to be tossed and to and fro by every wind of doctrine and whatnot. Lord, we worship you, we magnify you. I thank you for your word. But when we get it, it's beautiful. When we try to manufacture it, the counterfeit is ugly. Not just in our holiness, as far as our godly living and morality, but also how we treat one another and how we function, just even in our thought life and our attitudes. But Lord, we want to be holy and pleasing to you. For you are our rock and you are our redeemer. Lord, I'm reminded of Psalm. When Psalm, the David said, Lord, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight. Oh my God, my rock and my redeemer. We worship you. We give you thanks. We give you glory. Magnify your name in our lives. In Jesus' name we give you thanks. Amen and amen. God bless you. Have a great day. Stay cool. See you tonight, 6 o'clock.